everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Freedom Caucus podcast. This is Jody Heiss, your host, and we are deeply, deeply honored to have you joining us and on board with us today. Today, we're going to be talking about a huge elephant in the room. Matter of fact, this elephant keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger every day, every week, every month. And of course, I'm talking about our national debt, which I'm sure you saw recently passed the $22 trillion mark. I mean, think of that, $22 trillion. It's so hard to even put this into perspective, but just for uh, the effort of it all, that amount comes to about $70,000 for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this country. Every person in the United States of America now owes about $70,000 just for us to break even. Per household, that comes to about $175,000 per household. I mean, friends, clearly, we are in big trouble in this country as it relates to our national debt. This is something that has gotten way out of control, and frankly, Congress has done nothing about it whatsoever other than kick the can down the road a little bit further delaying any action on it. And let me give you a couple of stats here. Back in the 1990s, we actually balanced our national budget. I mean, these days we have trouble even passing a budget, let alone uh, getting anything to, to balance in that regard. But in the 90s, we actually had a, a balanced budget. Then comes the 2000s, and we started seeing our national debt creep up. In 2000, we owed just under $6 trillion. All right, now it just takes off from there as we, we see now, 19 years later, $22 trillion. This has got to be a priority for every one of us, for our country, for our economy, for the upcoming generations. But again, Congress has just simply not been doing anything about it. Let me give you a couple of quotes just to bring the awareness, the, the incredible urgency of the issue. Here's one. The most significant threat to our national security is our debt, end quote. You know who said that? That was Admiral Michael Mullen way back in 2010. He was the former Joint Chief of Staff Chairman, by the way. This guy carries a lot of influence, a lot of knowledge, and he said our biggest national security issue was our debt. That was in 2010. At that point, we only had $13 trillion of debt. I say only very facetiously, but here we are, $22 trillion down the road. Let me give you another quote. This situation is unsustainable, as I think we all know and represents a dire threat to our economic and national security, end quote. That one was from Dan Coates. He's our national intelligence director, and that was to a group he was talking to last year about the debt. Let me give you one more quote, and this one's from a group of individuals. I'll share with you who they are afterwards, but here's the quote. As individuals who have served the nation, both international and domestic All right, here's the quote. As individuals who have served the nation in both international and domestic leadership roles, we continue to believe that our long-term debt is the single greatest threat to our national security, end quote. 
All right, that was from a group called the Coalition for Fiscal and National Security. It included a host of defense leaders and former secretaries of state, people like Henry Kissinger, Leon Panetta, and a host of others. Now look, if we have our former military leaders and other national leaders telling us straight up that the national debt is our biggest problem, in their opinion, bigger than China or Russia or terror cells, then it's time for us as Congress to start focusing on this thing. But you, you know what we did? Let me just tell you, last year alone, February 2018, while we had a united Republican government, we passed a 13% increase in federal discretionary spending. And, and think about the things that we funded in that increase. It was not things like President Trump's border wall. Instead, we had a bunch of stuff, grants, like grants to Planned Parenthood, sanctuary cities, all this kind of stuff. This is not what you, the American people, sent us to Washington to do. And yet that's what the Republicans did last year and frankly would just continue to, to maintain the status quo. And listen, folks, you know I am proud to be part of the Freedom Caucus. I'll just tell you straight up, we fought that funding bill last year tooth and nail as a Freedom Caucus, and we, we've continued to support every effort we can to reduce government spending, and I can promise you we'll continue to do so. But as you can see from the quotes I've given, from the numbers we've talked about so far, this is an issue we simply cannot wait any longer to address. It's time we do something about it. That's why I am so excited to have our guest today, Andy Biggs is joining me, a fellow Freedom Caucus board member. Andy, we're glad to have you here. Um, let me just give a brief little intro on who you are. Andy represents the 5th District of Arizona. He is a defense and fiscal hawk. He does an outstanding job keeping us abreast on issues pertaining to our topic today. He has a master's degree in political science from Arizona State University and a law degree from the University of Arizona. And just a, a quick break in, in that, uh, I do want to say this for both our regular listeners and our detractors, and I think this brings up a great point. The Freedom Caucus is full of highly educated individuals from multiple sectors, and that just... I tell you, I've mentioned it before on this program, but the debate, the passion, the intelligence uh, that is present in our meetings in the Freedom Caucus is second to none in Washington and beyond, and you are part of that. And as I introduce it, uh, you to our listeners, uh, I want them to, to be aware of that. Well, thanks, Jody, and I, I agree with you. I, I always like taking guests in because they're astounded at the level of debate which, quite frankly, you will not hear anywhere else in Congress because we're actually talking about um, <clears throat> the Constitution. We're talking about the policy itself. We're talking about things that pe most people don't even uh, consider, and it's an honor to be part of that group. And, and I think most people will be surprised at how sophisticated the dialogue and uh, rhetoric it's, is. It's tremendous. A couple of other real things uh, regarding Andy. After working as an attorney... He served in the Arizona legislature, including four years as the Arizona Senate president. 
he is absolutely a champion for his constituents, a phenomenal leader in Washington, uh, as well as with the Freedom Caucus. Andy serves on the House Judiciary and House Science Committees and hosts his own podcast, What's the Big's Deal? Yeah. I love that title. Really, yeah, yeah, well, that's creative. Well, thank you. Um, and, and, and for your listeners who are interested in hearing that, you can get to SoundCloud, iTunes, or go to my website. All right. We will hit on that. I've yeah. got to know before we jump into yeah. some specific questions uh, regarding our topic today, uh, did they call you Mr. President while you were in the Senate? <laughs> or when you were the Senate president, i got to know. Indeed they did. Oh. <laughs> well, listen, we're not going to do that here. No, just, I just, get just you. Sit there. I mean, you call me Bubba. I am not calling you president. <laughs> this is at the well, right straight on that. You're Bubba. I had no idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everybody from Georgia is Bubba. You do know that. Well, listen, we've got uh, th- this topic, Andy, with our national debt is just an enormous concern. And I don't know of anyone who's on top of this issue any more than you. In fact, you've introduced House Resolution 149 which I'm glad to be a part of, a co-sponsor of, which really addresses our national debt. Can you explain to our listeners what uh, that is really all about? Yeah, and I'm glad you're you're a co-sponsor, and we have uh, well over 50 pushing 60 members of Congress. That's good news and bad news. The the good news is that we have, that's about five times as many as we had last year uh, on the bill. And uh, the the bad news is it's it's only a a fraction of, of our body, and that's really unfortunate because... What the, what the resolution is doing is it's, it's stating for Congress and the world to understand how serious the national debt is as a threat. So, so in that resolution, we're quoting uh, former uh, uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff, with, regardless of party. We're talking about um, uh, former leaders, secretaries of state, all who acknowledge that our tremendous national debt, our annual structural deficit, is really a threat to the, an existential threat to the United States of America. And, and we have to address it in Congress. And in my opinion, we spend so much time on, on uh, other bills that we don't get to the nub of our real crisis. Uh, you know, we have a crisis on the border. I think we agree with that. But I think we don't get to the nub of, the, of solving our long-term problem. And that's going to be this uh, budget deficit. Well, and it really is a national security threat, as you, you bring up. If, if let's just let's just say this resolution, if it passes, if we could get this across the, the finish line, which of course is in question now with the Democrats in, in control. But if we did, what kind of impact would that have for our listeners, for our nation? What what do you think would be accomplished with it? Well, a couple things I think would immediately happen. Um, first of all, we you have to elevate the discourse to see change in society, right. and this would elevate the discourse. Uh, number two is I think you would get a, a restoration of what we call regular order in Congress. That is to say, we're supposed to pass 12 uh, bills that appropriate our money or spend our money. And we would have full debate on it. We would have amendments come from the floor. We would start acting again like a legislative body. And what that does for the listeners is they then would see everything from tax policy to uh, spending policy, whether it's for military Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, social, other social, you know, social welfare programs, uh, transportation infrastructure. They could see they would have this transparency, and they would be able to say, "We like what you're doing. We don't like what you're doing. You, you made a mistake here. You didn't make a mistake there," and it would be a, a just 
a, bit, a far more inclusive way of doing the budget than we're doing now, which is basically crafted by, as you know, uh, I don't know what they call them, cardinals or something like that, some people behind closed doors, they come out and they say, this is what we're going to do. And uh, when really we're not even doing budgets hardly anymore. We can't, right. we can't hardly even pass a budget, it seems like. Anymore. We, we play around with the idea but never get anything across the finish line. Exactly right. So we end up doing these short-term spending bills. Right. And the problem with doing these short-term spending bills is uh, there's never really accountability to us. There's never consistency in spending. There's so so uh, you, you can't forecast what you're really going to need uh, and deal with that appropriately. You can't say you're not really analyzing programs to say, well, this program is totally inefficient. It should go away. Uh, this department or agency should go away. You make no adjustments to allow you to, to be more efficient in your spending and more accountable to the public. Well, and it just makes no sense. I mean, you have to, I have to, all families in America have to balance their own budget. They have to, they have to make this thing work from one month to the next. Right. But that's just not the case up here in Washington. Uh, can you kind of talk, walk us through the, the whole budget process that we have here in, in Washington? Well, so this is like trying to explain what a scrambled egg uh, does. It used to look like. Yeah, right. So so really what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to have this budget committee. By the way, I would do away with the budget committee. No offense to the, the people who, who are on that committee, but I would do with, away with that and fold it into the appropriations. They're supposed to basically set some limits and some guidelines. And then you have the appropriators on the appropriations committee who are supposed to craft the bills in tandem with all the, the subject matter committees. You, you, you're already beginning to see this massive overlay of, of bureaucracy just in the elected level. And so once that happens, you're supposed to, the, the su simplest way to summarize is this, is this is to say you should have 12 spending bills by the time you get this done. And they should be po uh, put up in the United States House of Representatives, which is supposed to originate all spending bills, according to the Constitution, and you should get that done sometime midsummer, and then get it over to the Senate, and they should take them up or not. And those 12 bills, there's going to be a bill that deals with transportation infrastructure. There's going to be one with military spending, one with agriculture. Uh, and, you, and you get all these 12, and they're separate. And, but what we, what we have now is that what they'll do is they'll take seven, seven areas and cram, seven bills, massive bills, cram them into one and call it an omnibus bill. They'll do three or four in another one. They'll just, and, the, and then they'll say, vote on this. And they'll give it to you with uh, maybe 24 hours to read it, and it'll be 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 pages long. Nobody can read it. Nobody knows what's in there, except for you know one thing. It's spending more money than we have. And you probably know a second thing, that there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that you would never support, and most of America, most America, uh, most of America would never support that. And then it doesn't happen. So when that doesn't happen, we do the short-term spending bills. Or shut down the government. Or right? shut down the government. <clears throat> yeah, it all comes down to it. Yeah. And, and a lot of times on those big bills there, uh, one of the ways they try to lure people in is allowing amendments. And like you said, that's where it ends up with so many things in it that we have been fighting against all our lives. And yet we're, we're trying to pass whatever it may be, like you said, agriculture, defense, whatever it may be. But there's attached to it just a world of horrible things. And so you end up, if you pass the one, you're passing a host of other things in it that we all despise. And think of it, uh, Jody, this is what, uh, what, what happens 
It happens in the states at a certain level, but not at the level it happens here. Let's say they want, they feel they need Jody Heiss's vote. They're going to go to you, Jody, and they're going to say, you know, uh, we know that you're really concerned about this or that or the other thing. We think we can get this in the budget. Now, whether they do or not, we don't know, but they're going to tell you they're going to get it in there. You're going to be looking for it. They're going to let you offer that amendment. It's going to get accepted or rejected. And a lot of what we've seen is, is uh, bait and switch. So you, you, you commit to vote for the budget. They'll allow your amendment to get voted on, but it's going to get voted down. Right. So you don't get your amendment right. on. But you got to vote. They expect you to vote yes anyway, even though, uh, uh, even though the budget itself or the spending bills, the appropriations the bills themselves are bad, and you didn't get what they promised you. And this is kind of the bait and switch that goes on. And it's also part of the reason that you are, see a bunch of lard in these appropriations bills. Right, right. All right, so, so what's the fix? Uh, we got to start landing this thing here. Where, where do we go to turn this thing around? Well, the American people, I think, would love their representatives in Congress to be open and transparent and to balance a budget. So the only way we really get at that is, that's why my resolution's out there, is to try to get our leaders to restore the method we're supposed to, where we actually have committee hearings, you have 12 bills, you get them done on time, you allow people like you and me and anybody else that wants to go down to offer amendments, either to reduce spending, save a program, whatever it is. It's what they think is important to their constituency and for this country, and you, and you have that debate on the floor. Until you start doing that, we're not going to ever change. And it is not that complicated. Right. The things you're talking about is what you referred to a few moments ago. It's regular order, which basically no longer exists around here. But just going back to the basics like that would, would get us a long, long ways down the road. Anything else you want to add uh, and tell our listeners before we transition you know, no, uh, we, we, what I really want them to do, if they would, is contact their U.S. member of Congress, member of the U.S. Congress, and encourage them to support the resolution and really dig deep uh, and keep track of what your representatives are doing and, and hold their feet to the fire. They should be telling you about every issue, of course, but certainly about the spending. All right, we've got to uh, land the plane here. Let's go back to your podcast, though. I think a lot of people are interested in that. How long have you been doing it? We started it about nine months ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. A lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. We've had some great guests. You've been a guest. I've You're been one a of guest the great on guests. Your program. And and the the idea is, um, I'm trying to create as much visible uh, visibility and transparency to what I'm doing in Congress and what we're doing in Congress. People who who, like you, Jody, you're, you're, a, you're a solid conservative, you're a true believer, and we, we want people to realize that there is a significant number of us that are fighting the fight here. There's too many. I mean, let's just be honest. Democrats fight politics like it's a war. Republicans tend to fight it like it's a process. And we have got to be able to have the, uh, the wherewithal to just fight this. And so we were trying to provide an avenue and a platform for more people like yourself to come on and, and fight that fight. Hey, you do a great job with it. Again, tell our listeners how they can uh, get hold of your podcast. It's called What's the Biggs Idea? It's on SoundCloud, iTunes, or at biggs.house.gov. 
And Biggs is B-I-G-G-S. Yes, so and no, that's the Biggs idea. And that's not what the what what's the Gibbs idea. It's Biggs. <laughs> it's Biggs. Oh goodness. <laughs> well, Andy, thank you so much for Thanks, joining Tony. us today, and all our listeners. Uh, thank you uh, so much for being a part of this this program. If you have a moment, please take time to rate the the show and subscribe to it and review this podcast on iTunes. And be sure to follow us on facebook.com slash Freedom Caucus and also through our Twitter handle at Freedom Freedom Caucus. So again, Andy, thank you, all of you, for joining us. Until next time, have a great day.